As I mentioned earlier, the, the women are away on a, a, a women's retreat. It's called the Discipleship Walk. My wife is on team for that. And so since Thursday evening, I've been home alone with my boys. Now, my daughter just went off to college. I used to have an 18-year-old daughter and three boys. And now it's just dad and three boys. But I'm happy to report that uh, since Thursday evening until today, I have not ordered DoorDash food delivered to my house. We have not gone to a restaurant, but I have provided the meal. Oh, yeah, I know. Seriously, if you're not clapping, you don't know how big of a deal that is. I have provided the meal. Now, I got to be honest with you that Thursday night, I, I just warmed up some spaghetti sauce I bought at the store and added it to my wife's awesome delicious spaghetti sauce because it was like we just needed it was leftovers so I, I warmed up leftovers but I kind of you know added to it so that's good but then on Friday is my day off so I'm home I, I'm working on some other things uh doing some laundry yeah I'm just flexing right now uh and I thought I should throw some meat in the smoker and so I threw a couple of tenderloins in there because they don't take as long uh because it was a last minute idea and my son comes home from from school the youngest one he comes home first. He's the elementary school kid. He's nine years old. And he goes, hey, Dad, what's, what's for dinner? I was like, oh, we're smoking meat. And he's like, what about sides? I didn't think about that. Like, I, I have a smoker, and I like to smoke meat, but Heather takes care of the sides. And I was like, well, you know, we have chips <laughs> and bananas. And my son's like, barbecue and bananas? So he kind of quietly slips off to the pantry and grabs a back, box of macaroni and cheese and walks in and goes, hey, Dad, what, are we about, what, are we, what do you think about this? And he's kind of hinting me there. And I thought, yeah, let's do that. But you know what? I, I just missed becoming famous for barbecue and bananas. It was about to happen, but we made mac and cheese. Actually, my hawk made the mac and cheese, so thank you, son. Yes. I say that because when I... I say that because I'm excited about my wife coming home for more than one reason, for more than one reason. But one reason is to be like, I didn't order DoorDash. I didn't go to a restaurant. We were good with our budget and I provided food. And I think there's a sense of pride of like, hey, I know the house is a wreck, but look, I, I ordered food. I mean, I didn't order food. I made food. Kind of like we do. I, I, I kind of feel like a child. Like, I feel like it's like Mother's Day for my, for my wife. Like, look what I did. I, I, I did this. And, and it's kind of like... Mother's Day and Father's Day, you know how we kind of uh, get all special and excited about showing honor on those days, like breakfast in bed or whatever you guys do. Many of you know that I'm not a big fan of holidays, period, other than Easter and Christmas, like Valentine's Day, don't get me started. Um, I, I, I wonder why we work so hard to tell somebody that we love them on one special day and miss all these other days, but that's a whole nother thing. But I kind of feel like that Father's Day mentality is the way that we approach our Heavenly Father. Like, look, God, look what I've done for you. And we, we wait for those moments in life where we could do something special or extraordinary and we could stand out. And I don't know where that is. I think it comes from, a, from the right heart of wanting to please the Lord. But I, I believe that if we're not careful, that we can miss out on actually bringing glory to God the way he desired for us to bring glory to him. See, if, we, if we're waiting uh, or, or we're comparing ourselves to other people and what they are doing and saying, man, they're really doing awesome things for God. I, I, I need to do something similar. I need, I need to, I, we find ourselves comparing or we find ourselves feeling the pressure of like, ooh, what can I do? What can I offer? And I, I, I fear that 
those things actually take away from the, the, the arena where God has placed us to bring him glory. See, for most of us, we want to make an impact. We want to do something great. So words like plotting and steady and faithful, they, they're not nearly as exciting. I mean, after all, how can God be interested in like the ordinary stuff of our life if we're hardly interested in it ourselves? The same office, day in and day out. The same bad coffee, day in and day out. The same people, the same mundane tasks in your cubicle. The same classmates, the same bus driver and homework. We kind of sound like Belle from Beauty and the Beast. There must be more, what is it? I have to sing the song. <laughs> Little town, there's a quiet, I don't know. There must be more than this whatever life, Right? And so what we do is we find ourselves living for the vacation. We're enduring the ordinary, the mundane, the routine of life, and we're living for like, oh, going to Florida in three weeks. And we live for that, and we just endure the rest. And by endure, enduring the rest, I think we're missing. If we simply endure the ordinary, the routine, and the mundane now, if you're not a Christian here today, this message really is geared towards the Christians, and we're thankful that you're here, we're delighted that you're here. Um, I'd love to meet you. I stand at the doors as we leave, but, but this, sit back and relax. This is for us who are saying, we're Christians, we want to we bring honor and glory to God. Um, so sit back and relax. But I, I want you to hear, as I speak to the Christians, if, that the message of the gospel, because it's woven into this message, and if there's anything you walk away with, it's just simply that, um, who is Jesus? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. One way that you could find uh, Colossians really easily, if you remember, go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you're welcome for that. I spent thousands of dollars at seminary to learn that. Go eat popcorn. Colossians chapter 3. Now, what's funny is we were just in Colossians chapter 3 just a, a, a little bit ago with uh, a message for our, our new member Sunday. We talked about community and, 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 and what takes place in the relationships in the church. But we're back, and we're going to keep reading beyond where we started. Um, we're going to pick it up in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear in the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you'll be paid back, you'll be paid back for the wrong you have done. For God has no favorites. Masters, be as just, just as fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. 
I think it's helpful here to, to remember where we were in the first part of this chapter just a few weeks ago. A little context for what we just read. What we read was a whole lot of instruction for the home. Husbands, wives, children, slaves, and masters, because that was the home uh, back at that time in that place. And ordinarily, you'll hear this verse because you'll hear this passage preached because someone's like, it's a Father's Day message or it's a Mother's Day message or we're going to talk about relationships in the home. We are, but we're not. Remember what we just read, but let's take a real quick look at the context. Where are we coming from? The immediate context that verses 1 through 16, almost parallel to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 when he says, throw off your old sinful nature and put on the new nature. Put to death the old self, your sinful actions and attitudes, and put on the new self. Then Paul uses relationships in the church, which we looked at a few weeks ago. But let, let, would you do me a favor and scan verses 1 through 15? Verse 1, since you've been raised to new life. It's like the theme of this book. Verse 3, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden in Christ. So therefore, this is verse 5, put to death. What does he say? There's a list there. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, Anger, picking up in verse 8, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Verse 9, don't lie to each other. But instead, in verse 12, right before our passage today, instead of those things, he's saying tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, making allowance for each other's faults, forgiving anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. Oh, ooh. There's a whole sermon right there that we could preach every couple of weeks. That's what, that's what he's speaking of, this new life and what that new life looks like. And then we get to our passage today, and then if you notice in verse 17 and then in verse 23, there's these book-ended ideas that, that between, that, that stand on the outside of the instructions for husband and wives. Look at verse 17. Do it as a representative of Christ. And then verse 23. Do it, speaking specifically to the slaves, but... Really, all of this, do it unto the Lord. See, verse 18, he, he begins on those relationships because relationships are, are I mean, our spirituality is, is, is authenticated in relationships. Relationships is like the best testing ground. Am I, not, am I right? So Paul looks at relationships because when he starts off this chapter and says, think of the things above, the reality is thinking of things above puts very practical results here below. That true spirituality, spirituality happens in the course of real life, and I may add, ordinary, mundane, routine life. But in our celebrity culture in North America, we think true spirituality comes in those moments where we're visible and on the stage and doing great things. But to Paul, it's ordinary, everyday life. Think about the examples Husbands and wives, I mentioned earlier, same person, I, same person. What's more ordinary than your marriage? Don't tell my wife I said that. What's more ordinary than, <laughs> than day in and day out, living in home? See, there's false teachers that, that made spirituality that Paul is addressing, that he's correcting in Corinth, who made spirituality about gaining higher knowledge, about mystical experiences, about following some code of ethics. 
But for Paul, let me read you this quote as I studied. For Paul, spirituality is nothing grand, romantic, or impossible. It is submitting to the supremacy of Christ, which will transform our character and revolutionize our relationships. See, the temptation, most of the time when you hear this passage, not the temptation that I have. No, I think I felt the temptation when I was prepping this passage. Ordinarily, when you come to this passage, we're going to start breaking down. What does it mean for husbands uh, for wives to submit and husbands to love? What does it mean for all this? And we could dive deeply into those things, but I want to take a look at that list. Wives, husbands, children, slaves, and masters. And I want to show you, like, the stuff he said prior is what he's applying here. Tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love, and peace. Husbands, be tender-hearted. Show kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Wives, make allowance for each other's faults. Forgiveness, love, peace. That's the new self. He's applying the new self in the home. The new self in very ordinary life. See, Paul starts off chapter 3 by urging believers to look above. So he's saying, wise, look above to Christ as your example of submission. Look above as Christ to your example of love. Children, look above to Christ as the example of obedience. Slave, look above to Christ as your impartial rewarder. And masters, look above to Christ as your heavenly judge. See, spirituality happens in real life, in the ordinary, in the mundane, in the routine. It's not just those moments where we oftentimes will give credit, like that person. But look at that life. Look at that feat. Look at that task that they just did for God. Oh, that's great. And we kind of look at our own boring routine with some disdain. But to, to Paul, spirituality is identifying with Christ being transformed into his image, and then that transformation fleshing itself out in relationships. It's ordinary-sounding stuff. This message is not about being a better husband or being a better wife or being a better child or better slave or master. This message is about how do we bring glory to God the way he has designed this world where he's placed us in ordinary and mundane tasks for most of our life. Let me make a point here that I'd like for you to walk away with because it's going to change how you see the day-to-day, day-in and day-out. And it's this. You can do more to glorify God while living in the ordinary than by doing the extraordinary. Hear me. You can do more to bring glory to God by living in the ordinary, mundane, routine part of your life than doing extraordinary things for God. And I know it doesn't seem like that makes sense because wouldn't it make sense if we stood up in a stadium and had a bunch of people come to Jesus and we were all Billy Graham? Not saying that didn't bring glory to God. I'm just saying you and I, by living, I will bring more glory to God in my home if I walk in tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, than I will bring on this platform I'm on this platform for 30 minutes once a week. May God be glorified in my relationships, in my home, in the office I work in, which just happens to be here. That's not fair. You can do more to glorify God while living in the ordinary 
But we don't live in the ordinary on purpose. We just endure the ordinary, don't we? I think it's important here to kind of define glory. Bringing glory to God, we read about it in John chapter 15 when Jesus talks about the vine and the branches, he talks about abiding in me. And if I've been your pastor for two and a half years, you know one of my favorite passages. And you hear this theme over and over again. If you, think of the, if you think of the abiding relationship with Christ, it's not about what we do, but it's more about the attitude of our heart, who we are. In fact, abiding is more about surrendering a passivity to the life of Christ through us, that there is a connection to the vine. And what does Jesus say in, in chapter 15 of John? That if you're the vine and the branches, I'm the vine, you're the branches, abide in me. And if you abide in me, then you will bear much fruit. And if you bear much fruit, you bring glory to the Father. He didn't say, if you abide in me, you'll do great ministry. You'll do extraordinary tasks. He said, you'll bear fruit. What's fruit? Tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, patience, forgiveness. There's a difference between the fruit of being and the fruit of doing. And I love that song. It was a new song. I love that intro to that song, that video um, about Mary and Martha. And kind of her doing and doing and doing. And there was just being. You know, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given kind of selectively and temporarily. If we're talking about tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, transformed in his image, um, I don't know about you, but I, I need help with that stuff. Like he's doing the work. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to do it. But let me just do a comparison really quick between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people. It was selective. It was temporary uh, to do extraordinary tasks. In Exodus 31, we read about a guy who was uh, developing the temple. He, artistic design and execution. His name was Bezalel or whatever. All the fine arts people love that word. Oh, yeah, look at that Holy Spirit artistic stuff. Yeah, not me. In Numbers chapter 11, there's 70 elders who received some of the spirit that was upon Moses. Judges chapter 6, Gideon was able to deliver Israel because the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Judges 13, Samson performs feats of strength when the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Then you have the prophets, 2 Chronicles, Joel, even Luke, before the day of Pentecost, Luke chapter 2. The spirit comes upon someone to do a specific task in a specific time, temporary moment, extraordinary tasks. And I think, like, isn't it interesting that he's given us his spirit as believers? That's not temporary. Jesus talks about the spirit, uh, and he makes a con completely different distinction between how the spirit works in the age of the church when he says that it will indwell us, not temporarily, but permanently, and all believers. I don't know about you, but I, I need that. Because the New Testament's not about doing extraordinary tasks when the Spirit jumps on you, or jumps on you. It's about everyday, ordinary life bringing glory to God. God bless you. Only you can do that. That's my son, by the way. In the Old Testament, the Spirit comes upon people for ordinary tasks. In the New Testament, the Spirit comes upon us when we become believers to dwell within us 
that we may bring glory to God in ordinary tasks. And the good news is there's a whole lot of ordinary tasks in our life. Because if we can only bring glory to God in those special moments, those extraordinary tasks, then there's really little opportunity. Let me tell you how much opportunity there is to bring glory to God in your life. If you live to be 80, I realize some of us have surpassed that. I'm more than halfway there. Whoa. Living on a prayer. Um, someone who lives 80 years old has lived 29,200 days or 700,000 700, over 700,000 hours. If you're 80 years old and you've brushed your teeth for four minutes per day, you've brushed your teeth for 2,000 hours. If you sleep seven hours per night, you could adjust this for you. At 80 years old, that's 204,000 hours. I don't, I'm not mathing really good right now, or reading for that matter. 43,000 hours, almost 44,000 hours eating if you spend 90 minutes a day eating. 58,000 hours doing chores if you spend two hours a day prepping meals, shopping, and cleaning. Driving and riding in a car over almost 15,000 hours if you drive in a car or ride in a car for 30 minutes a day. 87,000 hours doing routine tasks at work. If you just do routine tasks for three hours a day, and some of us, our jobs are routine for eight hours a day. So 700,000 hours of life and 410 of those are doing things that are very ordinary or seem pretty mundane and non-exciting. Are you encouraged that most of your life is brushing your teeth, riding in a car, and sleeping? But that's the place where God wants us. That's, that's the arena he's placed us in to bring him glory, connected to the vine, bringing him glory. One uh, old school church father, his name was Brother Lawrence, he was a uh, Carmelite monk. I know, it's so funny, Carmel light. Uh, he was in Paris in the 1600s. Uh, he's kinda, he wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God, and he discovered, well, he's credited as discovering the secret of cultivating holiness by practicing the presence of God in the ordinary business of life. Listen to this quote. Our sanctification or, did not depend, does not depend on changing our works, but on doing for God's sake that which we commonly do for our own. It's not about changing our works, it's doing the works that we already do, but doing it for God's sake. Isn't that what Paul said to slaves? Do it as you're doing unto the Lord. Do it as a representative of Christ. You know what's funny is Hebrews chapter 3 or 13 verse 5 where, where the author of Hebrews reminds his audience, hey, I'll, God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He quotes that. We take that verse oftentimes during difficult times in life and we find our encouragement in it, right? Like he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But what's funny is when things are like just day in, day out, ordinary, routine, it's almost like we're more at risk of forgetting that God's there. Like most of us who are Christians during hard times, we're like, oh, the Lord is with me through this. But when we're living ordinary, routine, mundane, do we really remind ourselves the Lord is with me through this? There's no... no mountain to climb, no vision that, that's been given, no, no miracle that's needed, but the Lord is with you. 
in the commonplace day in and day out. One Christian author, uh, pastor and author, Eugene Peterson, wrote this. Christian spirituality means living in the mature wholeness of the gospel. It means taking all the elements of your life, children, spouse, job, weather, possessions, relationships, and experiencing them as an act of faith. God wants all of the material of your life. You can do more, church, to glorify God while living in your ordinary than you can by doing the extraordinary. So what does that mean? What do we do? Let me give you two things to walk away with. First of all, don't dismiss your ordinary life. Don't look at it with disdain. Whether it's going to work or driving kids to soccer practice or making meals or doing laundry, walking the dog, working in the church lawn. By the way, I, I, I want to give a shout out to Jim Shiato and, and where's Dr. Phil? I mean, these people are faithful. Um, I think they're extraordinary, but they, they, they take care of our grounds and there's a bunch of other volunteers that take care of the plants, but like just cutting grass is a major task here. Uh, or serving coffee. That, I know it's like church ministry, but like Kimmy does it each week. Uh, I called up these guys kind of as a way to thank them during prayer. You're welcome. I mean, Pat Carter was an assistant pastor at the church. They, you know, before they came, the Lord brought him to Radiant, and he's out here pouring your coffee, doing it unto the Lord. Ordinary, mundane, doing it to the Lord. Because God wants all of that. Once again, I'll quote Brother Lawrence, who's a quote-unquote expert. He says this, We ought not be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it's performed. Some of us, not in my notes, but I was in my office thinking about this message, and I thought, there's probably some people here today who are thinking they're pretty disappointed with the ordinariness of their life. And if that's you, I want you to be encouraged. Because God has placed you, or he's placed you, for his glory. One of my favorite quotes, and you've heard me say it, and I'll say it again, from a pastor named John Piper who says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we find our satisfaction in him, that, that brings him glory more than what you do, more than helping that little old lady across the street, more than going back and giving the incorrect change back to the person who, you know, nobody pays in cash anymore. Find your satisfaction in him. Second thing is this. Focus on who you are more than what you do. Many of you know that Heather and I uh, and our family, we were missionaries about a decade ago. We had kind of a crazy experience with floods and kidnapping attempts. And we came home. We needed some help. We, had, uh, we got connected with this like counseling center. Uh, missionary kids called it missionary detox. Um, and I was wrestling and trying to figure out, okay, Lord, what, what is it that is the next step for us. And I kind of felt the Lord was leading us back to pastoring. We had come out of a church past as a, as a youth pastor and it was like, you know, here's who I've made you. And there's a long story to that and I'll just skip that. 
But I remember sitting there with the counselor and I had this uh, idea that God told me to be a missionary. And if I, if I do the thing that God was laying on my heart at that moment, I would be disobeying the earlier thing. And I, it was just crazy mind games. And the guy looks at me and goes, Jerome, what's God's will for your life? I was like, well, there was this moment where he called me to be a missionary. His will is for me to be a missionary. Here's the deal. I was a missionary, but I wasn't a very good Christian or father. Don't amen that, Hawk, but I wasn't. I had the title and the description. I was doing the thing that I thought, this is bringing glory to God, but my own life, I was worried about the fruit of doing, not the fruit of being. And he looks at me and he goes, you know what God's will is for your life? It's right here, Jerome. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Man, if we can just do the will of God that's revealed here, not worry about, God, what is it you want me to do? What's the job or the, I mean, this brings glory to God when we do what he's told us already to do. If you'll indulge me, I'm reading one more quote from Brother Lawrence. Once again, that book is The Practice of the Presence of God, if you're interested in this topic and kind of digging in a little bit. Tell me if this doesn't sound like an abiding relationship with Christ. He, speaking of God, does not ask much of us, merely a thought of him from time to time, a little act of adoration. Sometimes he asks for, he asks for his grace, sometimes to offer him your suffering at, some, at other times to thank him for the graces past and present he has bestowed on you in the midst of your troubles to take solace in him as often as you can lift up your heart to him during your meals and in company the least little remembrance will always be the most pleasing to him no need uh, one need not cry out very loudly because he is nearer to us than we think that sounds like an abiding way to live life. It sounds like what we talked about a few weeks ago in our worship series, living your entire life as a sacrifice of worship in the ordinary, in the mundane, in the routine. If you're not a Christian with us today, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, this was really for the Christians, especially those who maybe you're comparing yourself and you're thinking, man, what's my life? What, what am I doing? Be encouraged. But if you're not a Christian, I mentioned the one thing I want you to know is the message of the gospel. The reason why we're gathered here, the reason why we even care about our life bringing glory to God is because Jesus Christ, God, who was there, the Logos, there at creation, uh, I, don't, I shouldn't use words like that, right? Jesus Christ, Son of God, fully man, fully God, comes to earth, lives a life we could not live, and dies a death that our sins, because we came into this world separated from God. And of all the religions of the world, only, Christ, only Christianity is where God takes the initiative to save us. It's not us earning anything. Completely unmerited, like he takes our place, that he would make us right with God and right standing and right relationship make us new, the new life that Paul talks about in the passage we were looking at today. That's the message of the gospel. If you hear nothing else, hear that. 
Let me close this once again, speaking to the Christians in the house. And we're going we're gonna to receive um, communion here in a moment. But I want to close. I don't know what it is with me today. We're kind of like surfing the church fathers. This doesn't, if you're a guest with us, we're so happy you're here. This doesn't happen every, every service. Um, but it's a prayer. When we talk about ordinary everyday life and our lives bringing glory to God, not these great extraordinary tasks. Ooh, can I tell you another story? We were, I was in the men's uh, small group Bible study breakfast yesterday. Uh, and I'm not ordinarily there. And the discussion was like, being extraordinary in the midst of the ordinary. And I was like, ooh, maybe God's speaking. This is extraordinary in the midst of ordinary. This is bringing glory to God in the routine and the mundane. It's a prayer from St. Francis of Assisi. And let it be our, I guess, our, our benediction. But we're still going to receive communion. We're still going to sing. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me so love. Where there is injury, pardon where there is doubt, faith, where there is despair, hope, where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, and it's in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it's in dying that we are born to eternal life.